That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnekin. Hello, hello, hello. Once again, thank you for joining me for This Show is All About You. Thank you so much for taking the next hour to spend with me as we take a look at things going on in the world and get a little bit deeper than we often get with them, seeking those things that connect us across space and time, as well as those things that uh, we may have in common in this era of what seemingly feels like all these differences all the time from every direction. So that's what this show is about. I am your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. If you would like to know more about me, you can check out my website at wordsbyjdk.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and The X at by looking up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N. Would love to chat with you there, connect with you, and uh, see what's going on with you. I want to give a shout-out here at the front end of the show to the show's longtime sponsor, Airway Science for Kids a fabulous nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area that provides life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth through the exploration of aerospace careers. There are hundreds of such careers, and airway science goes beyond just prepping kids for those career options and those pathways, but also helps them in a holistic way that encourages them to better connect with themselves, to better connect with their families, and with their communities. If you'd like to know more about the amazing work that Airway Science for Kids does, please check out their website at airsci, A-I-R-S-C-I, dot org, and you'll hear more about them during the show breaks. Uh, It is Labor Day today, so happy Labor Day to all of you in the United States. Uh, One of the the benchmarks of the end of, or the the shift to a new season, I should say, the end of summer into the fall, and I'm in Talking about that for the last couple episodes here and there. I'm going to continue with that theme generally today. So hopefully you are enjoying your day off. Or if you're listening to this, of course, as a podcast, I hope you enjoyed your day off uh, and hope things are well. Uh, But like we always do, starting on the show, let's start off with a look at last week's news in a segment I call, What in the World is Going On? Ukraine unleashing its most widespread drone attacks inside Russia since the war began, seen in footage posted online. This airbase in Peskov, one of several military targets across at least six regions. Videos circulating on social media showing thick smoke rising above the facility. At least four military planes destroyed. A fuel depot and military supply factory also struck. Russia today retaliating in the biggest attack on Kyiv since spring with a barrage of drones and missiles. It's such a remarkable thing. I keep highlighting the fact that these drone attacks from Ukraine in Russia continue to increase and now they are broadening. Not only are they broadening in their targets away from just Moscow, but they're happening with a lot more frequency and deeper and deeper into the country. To give some perspective, Moscow, the capital of Russia, is 400 miles plus away from the nearest border with Ukraine. That is the same distance as Los Angeles to San Francisco. 
And that's an incredible distance. And so one of two things is happening. Either the Ukrainians are able to fly these drones from their territory 400 miles to Moscow or to all these other places they're attacking, including military bases, without them being detected or shot down, or Ukrainian uh, functionaries have infiltrated into Russia deep enough that they're able to launch them from short range to attack all of these different sites. More than likely, it's some combination of the two. Whatever the case, it means Russia has some very significant security problems going on, not just with their aerial defense, but even just in their basic border control. It is yet another sign of a country that started a war it had no business starting because it did not have the infrastructure, it does not have the expertise, and it does not have the preparations in place for a prolonged war against a power that is highly motivated and well-supported with weapons and technology from the outside world. This, it, it just is amazing to me that we've gotten to this point. And of course, the reason why the Ukrainians are doing this is not just because they're being attacked, but this is a great way from their vantage point to undercut Russian morale inside Russia and support for the war. And it's also a way to get Russia to have to make some really tough decisions about where they're going to apply their resources, defending their own people or fighting against Ukrainian troops in the field. And the Ukrainians want as many resources back in Russia as possible. So that helps them. It's an incredible story that just seems to get bigger and bigger as this part of the war goes on. All right. And uh, taking a look at something else this week, a little different. A former organizer of the far-right Proud, Boy, Proud Boys extremist group has been sentenced to 17 years in prison. Joe Biggs was convicted of spearheading an attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th of 2021 to try to keep Donald Trump in power after he lost that election. The 17-year sentence is the second longest among hundreds of Capitol riot cases so far. The judge said that Biggs, quote, trampled on the important American custom of certifying the electoral college vote. Sedition is a real thing, is what courts are telling us from around the country. And not just courts in D.C. where the January 6th insurrection happened, but courts all over the place where these trials are being held of people who are involved in this. And sedition, meaning the outright attempt to overthrow the government or to undercut it in some sort of way, is not a charge that gets thrown around lightly. And as I mentioned last week, in all of these cases, charges have to be brought. And in a lot of cases, grand juries made up of everyday citizens have to decide and tell prosecutors if they believe there's enough to prosecute a case. In all of these cases that have taken a very long time to be played out because the investigation had to go into how, if at all, were these hundreds of people connected? To what degree were there conspiracies going on? And who were involved in these and who were not? All of this took a long period of time to play out. And now sentences are starting to be handed down. And 17 years is significant. And, it, and in some ways, in a lot of ways, I'm really glad that these are the types of sentences that are being handed out for this. Because in this period of time where the messaging around January 6th and what happened is just is infused with the politics of right now, it can be really easy to forget just how threatening that event really was. And the more distance we get from it, the more politicized it becomes, the more our memory of that and the shock of it and the severity of it can fade to the background. And it's one reason why courts of law 
exist and should be held up for the importance that they have in this country because they oftentimes are our best reminders of the severity of things, particularly crimes committed. It will be interesting to see now as a lot of these cases sort of finalize out, what backdrop will this create for the upcoming trial of former President Trump, particularly the one in Washington, D.C., about the January 6th insurrection and everything that's coming with that. It'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Okay, those were the two main stories that I wanted to talk about today. So let's go ahead and transition into today's topic. If you're a new listener to the show, uh, I always start off by taking a look at the past week's news because it's an interest of mine and I'm a historian by background. So I look at things historically and with that kind of context in mind, that kind of eye. And then I usually talk about some story or, or some other. It could be about my own life. It could be about something in history. It could be just about anything, frankly, because I like lots of things and I like to talk about just about anything. And then usually an update towards the end on some things going on in my life. For the most part, I follow that, that pattern uh, every week. This week, uh, we'll see where I, we end up with that. A lot of those, those second two parts might actually be blended together because I'm spending some time over these next few weeks talking about transitions for reasons that will become clearer as time goes by. But I'm going to talk about it again today. I talked about it last week uh, in the context of you know, what our values are and, what, and how do we deal with change. And today I'm going to talk about um, kind of a landmark transition that seems to be happening with me uh, because in just a few days... I am going to be turning 50 years old, <laughs> and uh, which is an amazing thing. Now, just to just to get this right off, get get it out right off the bat, I am excited for my 50th birthday. I am not looking at it with dread. I am not looking at it saying, "Oh, I'm so old. Where did all the time go?" Uh, and I'm really grateful that I'm not. I know that for a lot of people, birthdays can be a bummer. They used to be for me, and part of my journey, particularly in the last 10 years, has really been unraveling the reasons for that and kind of breaking up with those <laughs> BS stories, if you will, uh, about what it means to get older. So I'm actually excited for my 50th birthday. Um, I'm amazed by it in some ways. Uh, I remember being a kid and I don't know why I thought about these types of things as a six-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, but I remember thinking there was no way I was ever going to make it to 50. <laughs> 50 just seems so old. I mean, back then my parents weren't 50 and so it already seemed old. I didn't really know a whole lot of people who were 50 and the people that I did know who were 50, I couldn't tell if they were 50, 60, 70 or 80. I just didn't have that framework to, to gauge that type of, of age when I was younger. But I remember thinking that's just such a long time. You know, when I think about it in historical terms, you know, 50 is a, is a significant chunk of time, but it's not a huge amount of time in the big scheme of things in human history. Uh, a history that stretches back thousands of years as far as we are able to tell, all the way back to the ancient Egyptians and even earlier. So it's just one small snapshot in time. And of course, as I've gotten older and you recognize you know, you're part of a continuum of, of humanity and we're kind of small in that continuum, we're also small in the universe, you ask all those, or at least I asked, all those big larger questions about what does my life mean and what, you know, all that type of thing. And for me, uh, for at least 40 of those years, it seemed to be a real struggle for me to figure out what I was meant to be and how I wanted to be and what life really meant. And as I come up on 50, I've been really grateful more than anything else for the lessons that I have learned in my life so far, 
even the really difficult ones. Um, now, longtime listeners of this show know that um, I'm you know, about 12 years removed from a major life rebuild that blew up my old life in spectacular fashion once upon a time and decided I had two choices. I could either stay in that destruction or I could do the painful work and the difficult work and the oftentimes lonely work involved in coming to terms with myself, forgiving myself for the things that I had done, and hopefully, you know, making amends for the things that I had done wrong to other people, and then rebuilding my life. I had two choices in the end, and I chose to do my best and rebuild. And I'm grateful to say, as I approach my 50th birthday, that, um, you know, I've done that largely. And I'm in this interesting transition point where I think I'm only just starting to realize that all that old stuff is really gone. All those old things are really done. All my old ways of thinking have, I've grown out of those or certain elements of those have just kind of closed themselves off. And I have literally the rest of my life in front of me. I have no idea how long that is, of course, but I'm grateful for the fact that seemingly I feel like I've broken into the clear, at least in terms of all the old stuff that used to really hold me down. Not that I've gotten every single answer to all those big questions uh, about life and future and meaning and all that. Just a lot of those questions that I used to try to answer, I've recognized I probably can't ever answer, or they just aren't as important to me anymore as they used to be. <laughs> so uh, I feel really good going into my 50th birthday. And I set a goal for myself a few years ago as I, as I saw 50 coming on and I was trying new things, including doing this podcast and, and doing the, starting up the podcast with my good friend, Tony Santabria, breaking up with RBS that you can also find wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, as I was going through all that going, you know, where, where do I want, what do I want to shoot for as 50 years old gets closer? Uh, how do I want to transition where I am now towards that as just a goal? Not that I needed to create like the perfect life for myself, but I didn't create um, what I really, what some people would think would be unrealistic goals for that. I didn't say at the time, I want to make sure that I have $50 million in the bank by the time I'm 50. I didn't do anything like that. What I did put forward for myself was kind of an open-ended question or an open-ended series of questions more accurately where I just kind of wondered what would happen if I did the following things and I had a whole series of them and wanted to do. And I asked these questions and then in a series of conversations with some of the people closest to me in my life and, and also with Tawny Santabria from Breaking Up With RBS, uh, the questions came back to me. If you had your, you know, if you had when your 50th birthday showed up, if you could look at yourself at that moment and say this would, these are the things that I would like to have or where I would like to be. What would that be? But summarize it in just one statement. So I thought about it for a long time. I journaled about it. I sort of sat with it, you know, just kind of wondered openly on that open-ended question. And I came to the conclusion just a few years ago that by the time I was 50, I wanted to be, ideally, be able to say that at 50, I would be in the best physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual shape of my life. What if I could do that? What would that look like? And what might that open up for me? 
So that was the answer I came to. It took me a little while to get there, but it became kind of this guiding force over the last few years. And it's kind of been this part of this larger conceptual umbrella kind of hanging over everything that I do, not hanging over, but you know, that sounds negative, but over the top of everything, kind of connecting all these things, my writing, the podcast work that I do, uh, the coaching program that I was part of and got certified in, uh, just about anything. Uh, I wanted to knit all those things together and see what would happen. And what ended up happening was, I'm happy to say, exactly that. In just a couple days, I'll turn 50, and I can say without a doubt, already, just a couple days <laughs> prior, I am in the best physical shape of my life. I am in the best emotional shape of my life. I am in the best mental shape and in the best spiritual shape. And I'm thrilled about that. <laughs> and because what it has me leading with into this transition into the next decade, right, my 50s, or the next half of my life, or the next you know, quarter of my life, I have no idea how much longer I'll have. Whatever this next series of steps is, it has me leading with gratitude and a lot of peace and a lot of excitement for where things might be going. And not because my life is suddenly absent of challenges or difficulties or uncertainties. I am not free of difficult emotional experiences like loneliness or loss or self-doubt or frustration or anger. All those things still happen. What I believe has happened and the, the gift that has developed within me and around me is more of a recognition that all those things are a part of life and what I can do and continue to do is develop through all those things, the physical, the mental, the spiritual, and the emotional, more and more resilience and integration of all those things together, more resilience as all those elements of life, whether they're coming from inside me or are influenced by external things as they come at me. And so when we get back from the first break here on this show is all about you, I'll talk about some of those specific things and what that's looked like and what that means for moving ahead. And hopefully you'll connect with some of what I have to say. We'll be right back. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I dot org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids. Providing aerospace for all. Welcome back, everyone, to This Show is All About You. Talking again this week about transitions, and uh, 
I'm, I'm talking about my upcoming birthday, which is just in a couple of days, September 6th, as of this recording. So just a few days from now. And before the break, I was talking about how kind of excited about it. And 50 is a big round number, right? And so even though it's the same kind of birthday as 49 and next year will be the same birthday of 51, God willing, there is something about these big round numbers that captures our attention. And depending on what we choose to do with that, what we choose, how we choose to frame <laughs> that big number goes a long way, I, I have learned, goes a long way in determining how we're going to feel about it and what we might choose to do with it. And so I've learned in the last handful of years to recognize that we have so much more choice over our emotional states and how we want to frame things than we think. And it doesn't, and, and one is going to be more real than the other, you know, in some cases. And so for me, I have been working actively for at least 12 years since the rebuild began, but really in the last handful to, to learning how to better reframe these things for myself in a way that has reality at the core, but within me, I feel the resilience and the ability to be okay no matter what is happening. To be okay even when things aren't great. To be okay even when difficult emotions are running through me. To be okay when things happen outside of my control that directly affect me negatively. And by better learning how to do those things, that kind of emotional integration, it's helping me appreciate more and more not only the things that aren't made up of all those difficult things, the, the, the nice things, but really the smaller things. To be grateful and to notice the smaller things, the smaller joys in life. And there is something true to what you hear a lot in public discourse about this on social media and elsewhere, that around 50, there seems to be, if we're growing in that part of our lives, we start realizing what we care less and less about, what really matters the most and what doesn't. We, we tend to filter through those things. We've seen behind the curtain, right, of all those things we were supposed to do or maybe all those things we thought we, were, we should do or that we needed to do or we were told that we needed to do in order to be happy. Some of those may have turned out to be true for some of us. Some of them might have turned out to be, you know, com completely not true for others. And instead, kind of figuring out where we stand and how we want things to be for ourselves. And as I said before the break, my goal a few years back leading into about the time I turned 50, I wanted to be in the best physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental shape of my life. And I really feel I'm in that spot. And I'm really excited about that. Not just because I kind of put that out there a few years ago and I've been able to move in that direction enough that I can say that, but also because it just feels really good to be in that space. And again, it's not Pollyanna-ish in the sense that I've somehow, you know, have cast off my awareness of what's going, you know, world's problems or my own difficulties or, you know, the frailties of life or the uncertainties. Not at all. In fact, I probably notice a lot of those things a lot more than I used to. What is different now is those things don't sideline me emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually as much as they once did. And I attribute that to a few factors. So collectively, all four of those areas of health, there's a few common factors that have turned out to be really important. One, in every single case, I needed a lot of other people to help me do it. Those were not things I could do on my own, strictly by myself. In part, that's because we are hardwired for connection with other people. And the best 
relationships we have, whether it's our closest ones, partnerships, best friendships, or ones that are professional or aren't as uh, deeply connected. That combination of factors, that combination of relationships goes a long way to help us achieve certain things. So, for example, in the physical part of my life, uh, one of the things I can say is from when I was very young, I was always very aware of feeling weak compared to other people. I was never the tallest, strongest, most fit, uh, most attractive looking kid growing up, or at least that's what I told myself. And I never felt that way. I was kind of a skinny beanpole uh, by the time I was a teenager, and I was very self-conscious about that. And I played sports, but I was very self-conscious in the weight room. Um, I did not really develop uh, stamina beyond playing sports like basketball and soccer for a while, where I could felt like I could really push myself and learn what my body could take and, and help it improve its own health and improve its strength. So as I started laying out this idea for myself to get into the best physical shape of my life, it felt pretty daunting. I'd had spells in my adult life of doing more than that. I had a period in my life where I was doing triathlons, not the full Ironman ones, but uh, smaller ones. There were big challenges and doing those were big, important foundational steps for me to really take these next bigger steps these past few years. I don't do those as much anymore. My knees have a hard time with the running portion, but I still enjoy swimming and biking immensely. So I did those for a while, but a few years ago, I said, you know what I really need to do is I really need to get the help of somebody who can show me how to do this on a regular basis. And I need to invest in a personal trainer. So about two and a half years ago at a, at a gym near my house club, I found a trainer and I just, it was just luck of the draw, as I told myself at the time, but it's truly been one of the greatest blessings of my life. Uh, I met Bruce, uh, and Bruce is, has been my trainer for two and a half years. And he also does, uh, spin classes, biking spin classes three nights a week or three days a week. And now I pretty much go to all three of those every week. And I work with Bruce once a week and I usually go into the gym and do a lot of the workouts that he's taught me and shown me at least one other day a week. And I've been doing that pretty consistently for about the last year or so. I was ramping up before that. And what I learned from Bruce were, were several things. He, I shared with him my lifelong anxiety about doing this kind of thing. And, and he said, well, I've been doing this for 30 years. He says, let me tell you something. There's not anything you're going to do that's either going to impress me or disappoint me. And that was the greatest thing that I could have heard because he laid that out that it was just going to be me and he was just going to push me to get stronger. And one thing he said to me, he didn't sit down and say, let's make these goals of how much weight you want to lose or how many pull-ups you want to do or how you want to feel like how you want to feel when you look in the mirror. He says, let's concentrate on getting you stronger. Let's just get you stronger and all those other things will follow. And so he took a really lo longer, larger, holistic approach to this. And he had, he's had me do uh, all these different exercises, touching every single part of my body, and particularly lateral movement. And he said, if you, the more lateral movement you can do to strengthen those lateral muscles on the outside of your legs, outside of your arms, your back, that type of thing, the more balance you're going to have is you're going to get older, and that's really going to help you as you get into your later years, into your 70s and your 80s. So I learned so much from Bruce really early on, not just about how the body worked, physiology of the body, but he also pushed me in ways that on my own, 
I was not pushing myself. And over time, as I developed a good connected relationship with him and I experienced that improvement and I had that support and he was reaffirming that, not only did it become easier to get into the gym and do these things, but I began to look forward to it more and more to the point now that it's one of my favorite things to do. It's an automatic thing for me to do. I rarely miss um, an appointed spin class, a training session, or a scheduled gym visit for myself. And it's gone a long way. Um, I don't weigh the, the least amount I've ever weighed as an adult, but I am so much stronger and fitter and more proportioned and feel better. I sleep better. I eat better. I respond better to physical challenges than I ever have before. And I really like overall my sense of being physically. And so that required Bruce as well as a lot of people like in my spin class. There's a group of us who after our spin class, we, we spend about a half hour together just having a quick cup of coffee or, you know, or rehydrating for a half hour. And those, those relationships, even though they aren't my deepest ones, are fabulous for me because we're all there kind of doing the same thing. And so that from the physical side has been a really important connection. From an emotional and mental place, um, I have to say, the, the person who epitomizes a lot of that for me is my friend, the aforementioned Tawny Santabria. I met her a handful, few years ago. She did some coaching with me, some human potential coaching, uh, a few, starting about three and a half years ago at a time that was really important in my life. I was wrapped around the axle around several different emotional uh, issues and things going on in my life things that I didn't have a lot of control over or more accurately, I couldn't figure out what I didn't have control over and what I did. I wasn't listening to my body. I didn't know how to read its own signals. You know, um, I was up in my head a lot of the time and I just couldn't seem to stop wanting to control other things or d get certain outcomes. I had these stories about what I needed in order to feel healed, to feel complete, to feel like I was living a quality life. And Tawny, was one of the first people to help me unravel that in a way that really, really worked uh, and worked quickly. And that has been absolutely vital. And part of that journey has been, as you know, she was helping me with this, me encouraging her, you know what? You're, I told her, I said, you're a genius. This is the stuff that you're ha doing with me I've never even experienced before. We, you need to write about this. You need to do a podcast about this. People need to vote, know about it. And she said, well, I've never written a book or done a podcast. You've done both. So I'll do both of those things if you'll help me with both. And it's led to an incredible partnership that she and I continue to grow. And I'll have some news to share with all of you about that uh, fairly soon, too. Some new things that she and I'll be doing. But that has been a really important relationship, an important friendship, an important professional partnership to help me develop those muscles. Um, I mean, really learning how to emotionally integrate and be okay in the body and get into the body is a practice. Just like going to the gym and lifting weights and getting on a spin bike and pushing myself a little further and building and building, that's a practice. That takes engagement every single day. So does getting into the body. So does, you know, developing and sitting with the awareness when difficult things happen or when BS stories about what we're making up about some certain situation when they come up paying close attention to what our choices might be in a given situation. All of those have mattered immensely in all of that. And so she would, that my own development emotionally, mentally, I cannot separate from the help that she has given me and from the collaboration we have. I would also say there are 
there are a number of people that I could name by name, and you've heard me name them at the end of the show before, uh, if you've listened to the show before, people that, whether they were aware of it or not, whether we were talking about emotional and mental uh, resilience or not, whether they knew that or not, were really helping me with that just by being in relationship with me. There's so many people who, in the midst of this, the last handful of years, have shown up for me in so many ways. And sometimes the conversations are difficult. You know, the swift kick in the butt that I know that I need every once in a while, the reality checks that uh, we all need to have every once in a while. I am fortunate to be surrounded by people who are willing to give me those things, um, even when it's uncomfortable. And I'm so grateful that I'm developing more and more of an ability to really accept those things, even if it's difficult to hear, from a position of recognizing that they tell me these things because they're invested with me and that we are helping each other grow. And I've learned how to better give back that kind of direct feedback and support and really kind of point those things out. It's one reason why um, when Tawny encouraged me to get certified as a human potential coach, I found it not only really exciting as an idea, but it was something that I, was, I realized I was already starting to do in a lot of my relationships in general. I wanted to help other people learn how to do that in their own lives like I was learning how to do that. So my closest relationships have helped with that. And I mean, I could sit and go down the list. I made a list not too long ago. It would probably take up an entire segment of this show of me just listing names of people who have helped me directly with those things in the last few years. And in ways that some of them would probably be really surprised to be on the list. <laughs> but when when we frame ourselves, when we frame where we want to go in the terms like I mentioned at the top of the show, wanting to be in the best all-around shape of my life, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, if we really frame things that way, in, in a lot of ways, the interactions we have under that umbrella are all kind of part of that picture. And for me, I was very conscious of it a lot of the time with those things. And then finally, the last piece, really quickly, the, the spiritual side of it. Uh, I could say all the same things. I mean, and, and not these things aren't all separate from each other. They all interconnect, right? So physically, you know, physical exercise can really connect, connect us emotionally with ourselves, with other people, and can be in, in some ways spiritual in the sense that we better connect with ourselves and then something larger than ourselves. And we all define those things in different ways. And I am fortunate that on the spiritual side of things, I have a lot of friends who, with the emotional and the mental, and some with the physical, are all interested in spiritual growth in their own way. And I have friends that I've had forever who, you know, our spiritual upbringing was in Christianity. And so we have that in common and a lot of the lessons that we've taken from that. And for me, the lessons from Christianity, the things to stick with are a belief in something much larger than ourselves, the importance of kindness, the importance of grace, the importance of forgiveness, the importance of acceptance of other people, and recognizing that we are not the center of the universe. That's, those are a lot of the things that I've kept with me. And I am fortunate that in particular, not only some longtime friends, but my family epitomizes that. My mom and my dad and my sister and my brother-in-law. The, they, all, all, those, all those things I just mentioned are what they truly emphasize as well. And so I've been able to have that as well. But I also have friends who are decidedly not from 
that religious background. I have friends from my recovery circles who all had different religious or non-religious backgrounds, who all connected with something larger than themselves in order to start getting healthier, to break their addictive patterns, whether it be to substances or behaviors. And they needed other people and they needed spiritual connection to something larger than themselves. And they all defined that in different ways. And I've spent a lot of hours in my life sitting with people from varying walks of life with varying experiences and varying beliefs on everything under the sun who were nevertheless able to connect with one another spiritually and connect with themselves and the universe more largely despite all their differences. And that to me has really stuck and has become a bedrock piece. So that's just another example of that. When we come back from our second break on this show, it was all about you. I'll tell you a little bit more about some of those things and ask maybe some broader questions for us to consider in our own transitions, wherever we may happen to be. So we'll be right back. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Welcome back, everyone, to This Show is All About You, going into our final segment on this Labor Day. Wherever you happen to be, whatever you happen to be doing, uh, I hope you're enjoying it. And thank you for taking some time to spend with me as we're talking about transitions again today within the framework of my upcoming 50th birthday, which feels like a transition. There's a little bit of a false story there. You know, we, we treat it as okay, moving into the 50s as if somehow that's going to be fundamentally different from our 40s. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't care. Um, I recognize that there's some arbitrariness in, in what we name things and how we label them and how we assign them value. But in this case, I'm taking this as a positive because 50 years is half a century. And I got to tell you, considering the, um, the stupid stuff I've done in my life, the major mistakes of the failures that I've experienced and that I've created at various points in my life, to be at 50, sometimes from that perspective, feels like nothing short of a miracle. And I feel like I'm getting over on life that somehow... Despite all of that, I made it 50 years. Uh, now, that's a you know I don't want to stick with just that pessimistic look. I also look back on 50 years of wonderful memories. I've had the opportunity to learn a lot of things and to really dig into big questions about history. I have a PhD in it. It was one of the best things I've ever done for myself. Um, so I, I got to ask questions about history and explore it in ways that most people dream of doing but never get a chance to do. I've traveled to a lot of places in the world, not nearly as much as um, other people I know, but a lot for me, more so than I thought I might when I was younger. I've, and this becomes more and more important to me as time goes by, I've been so blessed to get to know and be friends, to love and be loved by so many different people from at, in all eras of my life who have genuinely valued me, many of them not realizing as they did that, that that was so important for me to experience because I was struggling to value myself. Uh, certainly did not value myself the way that I, I do now. And it's still a growing process for me. But nevertheless, I've been so 
fortunate. And I've been fortunate to have a family that uh, has grown with me and has stuck with me, not just through the bad times, but also through the good times and have been really willing to kind of be part of a team uh, more and more as time has gone by in recognizing that my life has gone a little bit of a different trajectory than, than a lot of them have chosen. And, and yet they still, you know, they support me with that. There, there's not skepticism. There's not, there's not open worry about me, or at least if there is, uh, they don't express it to me or they, when they do feel it, they do talk to me. And it's, it's great to have that. Not a lot of people have that. I also have been fortunate to uh, do work that matters to me and to experience what it feels like to work in realms that help other people that are directly to help, meant to help them. So I worked in education for a long time. I ran uh, camps and, and outdoor ed programs for kids when I was younger. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've worked in the nonprofit realm. I've worked in museums. And of course, my writing and doing this podcast and now the coaching, a lot of it, all of it in some ways is connected to helping other people to, from the vantage point I have now, I've always been interested in connection. I've always wanted it. I've always yearned for it. I think that's part of my natural makeup. And now as I'm recognizing more and more of what connection means and I'm experiencing what it can do in the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual realms. I want to help other people tap into those things inside themselves as well and to experience things in their own context, in their own way, like I've experienced. Not so much the experiences themselves, but what can result out of that. More resilience, better senses of purpose and of peace, the ability to reflect, the ability to have perspective, to learn how to pause and bring their best selves more and more to bear rather than just simply react to what's going on around them and to not be afraid of hard work that it takes to overcome trauma, to overcome uh, maladaptive lessons that we've experienced and that we've developed in life and to have better relationships with themselves and with others. Because in the end, I think, with all the things we talk about, with all the things we worry about, with all the things we dedicate our, our time to, all those things I just listed, I think are really what most of us really want. We might dress it up, we might hide it under um, you know, anger or hide it under, you know, um, moralism or uh, political differences. But really in the end, that understanding ourselves and having peace and resilience and the ability to reflect and have appreciation and gratitude and have connection and to be at peace, I think really are the things that we really seek. And I'm learning more and more that I can choose to a great degree how much of those things I want to have at any given moment, whether or not other people are around, whether or not people that I reach out to and say, I would like to have this from you if possible, no matter what they, what their answer is to be okay when things aren't okay is a feeling of, I don't want to say power because it isn't power, maybe empowerment, uh, because in a lot of ways, unless we are literally in an emergency, like we, there is some sort of threat to our lives, to our safety, <laughs> you know, something bad going on. Other than that, outside of those times, which are rare, thankfully, and hopefully continue to be rare, we actually can choose to be okay a lot more often than we think. And that doesn't have to be at the expense of reality. 
It doesn't require making up a story or saying, well, everything will just simply work out. Because sometimes things don't work out, a specific situation. But if we mean things will work out that I will be okay, we can choose that. I'm learning more and more over time. And as I mentioned last segment, to get to this point where I feel like I'm approaching and, and, this, and continue to plan, I plan to continue going down, it required a lot of things. It required, first of all, the help of other people. And I think I've illustrated that in the examples that I've used. I absolutely needed that. Uh, the second thing that had to be applied to all of them was my own personal curiosity. I had to become curious about what might be possible. And not only that, but curious about what I might have wrong or what bad habits I might have had or what stories I was telling myself. And be curious about what it would feel like to let some of those expectations go, to let go of some of those desired outcomes in things like relationships or a career, to let those go and instead focus on making better, healthier decisions for myself in those four realms. What was best for me physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually? To spend more time with that and to be curious about what it could do. So for example, over the past year, uh, I've been guided in the physical realm by this open-ended question, what if I made my training sessions with Bruce, my spin classes with Bruce, and my own solo sessions on my own doing both, what if I made those um, non-negotiable? That instead of just fitting those in to other things, I fit other things around those. That I committed to those to the best of my ability, obviously leaving things open for unexpected circumstances or for holidays or for trips or for illness. Uh, what would what would happen? I didn't say I'm going to do this for the next year. I just asked myself an open-ended question. What would happen if I did prioritize things that way? That was a curiosity-based question that then required action to follow through on. And so I took that action. And for the most part, um, I would say 95% of my scheduled uh, gym appointments and spin classes I've made. And it's been great. It's part of the reason why I'm in the best physical shape of my life. And I feel really good. And added to that, I'm getting some answers to that curiosity question. What would happen? Okay, I, would, I will feel stronger. I will look better to myself. I will be more alert. I will have better energy. I will sleep better. I'll be eating better. I'll be better, take, I'll be better taking care of this body that I've got. And all of it that works so well together for my sense of well-being, I'm taking better care of it than I ever have in my life, right at a really good time for me to be learning how to do that. As I'm going to be getting older, and as they say, father time is undefeated. <laughs> so um, I'm not going to be able to stave off the effects of time forever. However, I can really be healthy enough not to stave it off so much, as to just experience every single stage of physical change in such a way that I can better know what's going on, I can better operate and be resilient through those changes, and still, as a result, maintain the type of life I want to be living and maintain appreciation for the physical state that I'm in. So I'm so grateful for this that I asked this curious question and then had the people around me who could help me follow through on that. And I can tell you from an emotional and mental space, from a spiritual space, curiosity is required because none of those things, I mean, if, if there was no curiosity required, 
on those three things. I had done in my life, earlier in my life, enough book reading, enough mental gymnastics, had enough um, kind of iron sharpening iron intellectual conversations on these concepts. If all those were going to work to give me a better sense of self in those areas and more health, it would have worked long before now. I needed to get curious about what I needed to unlearn about my mind and about my emotions and about my spiritual understanding. I had to be open to a lot of different things. And that didn't mean that I just accepted anything that came at me as legitimate or as something to pursue or something to embrace. But it did require me to be open to the idea that I might not know nearly as much as I thought I did. And there might be so many things out there that weren't so much conceptual things as they were experiential things that I would have to go through or I could be open to that might just show me some different ways of framing and understanding my own reality and who I was within that reality. And so I have been open. I mentioned recovery earlier. Um, I've read a lot of books and gone to meetings um, and been part of seminars and workshops uh, and conversations with people from a number of different spiritual backgrounds. And some of them have been really profoundly effective and uh, profoundly changing for me from a lot of different directions. Uh, and what that has done has underscored to me the power and viability of my own existence in this larger universe, despite the fact that we keep learning and experiencing that we're smaller and smaller and smaller as we learn more about the universe. But nevertheless, those have been huge for me, and I had to be open to that. And I think a lot of times what I've experienced is when people are afraid of what those things may do, if they become open to this idea that perhaps the faith tradition they grew up in doesn't have every single answer that they need, that there's a fear of what that will do. If you, if you let go of certain ways of viewing things, you don't necessarily know what is going to replace it. And that can be scary. I've experienced that myself. Recovery circles will show you that, for example, very clearly, that you have to give up your old ways of acting and thinking and doing if you're going to get better, and you don't really know what the new healthy you is going to look like. And as often happens in human psychology, we go with the thing that we know, even if it's destructive and painful, more so than the thing that we don't know. And it requires curiosity and an open-ended sense of that, not putting a time frame on that, to really move beyond that I've experienced. And so for me, coming out of recovery as well as doing the coaching with Tawny and doing the hard work in relationships to apply these things, all showed me that curiosity is absolutely vital, a thread to have through this. No matter what transition we're going through, no matter what changes are going on, curiosity allows us to be open to possibility and to be right where we are right now. We don't have to worry so much from that position about where we have been. And also, we don't have to worry as much from that position of where we are going. And oftentimes, if you think about it, if you're at all like I have been before and sometimes still struggle with, we can be caught in one or two of those things. Like we're either caught up in something that's happened in the past or we're worried about something that's happening in the future or something is happening now that is kicking off fear about the future or is reminding us from something from the past or some past trauma is affecting our present. To get to the point where 
we can be right where we are requires that curiosity to unlearn, to separate, to untangle from those things that either can lock us to the past or get us obsessed about the future at the expense of the present. So that curiosity, so other people, one factor. Curiosity, another factor. And I would say that being present, being in the moment, being where our feet are, is another common thread that's run through that. That doesn't mean that I don't have plans. That doesn't mean I don't have things I would like to, to gain in my life or work towards in my life that I don't have yet. It doesn't mean that I don't set those. What it does mean is setting those up as absolute must, some vision of the future at the expense of experiencing and acknowledging the reality that I'm in, no matter what that looks like, is not going to be helpful for me in the present in terms of coping with what's going on uh, making better choices for myself in the present. Because if I'm present, I'm going to make better choices that will help the future be better, whether it's a, a future I envisioned or hoped for, or turns out to be something completely different, which is more often the case for myself as well as I'm sure for a lot of you, right? The best laid plans, right? We always, we can cynically say life gets in the way. Well, maybe if we're open to that life is determined by where we are right now, we're more open to perhaps letting life unfold as it does, and we operate from a better space in making those choices about what's better in the moment, which will help us in every subsequent moment in the future that will become the present. And we continue, we continue, we continue. And you don't just have to take my word for it. Every single major spiritual and religious tradition that's ever existed in some way, shape, or form recognizes that fact that the present <laughs> is the key to just about everything else, right? To be here now is such a vital thing. All right. So with that, I have a lot more that I could say about it, but we are out of time for this episode of <laughs> this show is all about you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. I hope it gave you some things to think about. I have more to say on transitions and upcoming episodes. So I hope you'll join me uh, for the next episode and episodes beyond and if you missed any of this episode or any episodes of this show is all about you, remember you can get this as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. There's so many thank yous I need to give out for this show every week. I need to thank Hubbard Radio Seattle for producing and distributing This Show is All About You. I need to thank Eric Ryder for being my in-studio producer, editor, and mix master. Thank you so much, Eric. I need to thank Airway Science for Kids for sponsoring This Show is All About You. I need to thank Dave Nelson for the uh, original music for this show is all about you. He's with Lens Group Media. I have so many people that I need to thank, and I've thought about many of them on this, this episode today, but I don't have the time to list all of them. So I need to make sure they know who they are. And I want to thank all of you listeners because I could not do this for you without you. So to send you out into the rest of this week as we transition into fall, I'll end as I always do with an original haiku. Half a century of love, life, lessons, and growth. Here's to 50 more. Chins up, everyone. Mm -hmm.